It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Good morning. Seems different to not have Gail's song. I hope she's doing all right today. But there's lots of folks that have a little trouble with illnesses this time of year, as we know. But we're going to be continuing in Galatians, as you see on the screen here, uh, chapter 4. Just the first 11 verses. Um, what we find is Paul's continue, continuing metaphor, actually, uh, allegory, if you will, but uh, it, it continues. He teaches in this way. And um, <clears throat> I think it's pretty effective. It's certainly effective uh, to anyone I've known that's actually studied these things or listened closely. But of course we know in Galatian, the letter to the Galatian churches, um, we, we know that what was going on was the issue of the Judaizers, those that went out to the Gentile churches trying to convert um, or suppress the uh, Gentiles and make them become obedient to the law before they could actually be real Christians, if you will. That was the issue. Um, Paul's dealing with it here as far as these churches go. <clears throat> this was a really a big issue. It was a real problem. Um, and it did have its, its roots within the Jewish Christians that had been obedient to the gospel, but in some ways they were misled in thinking they needed to force others um, into becoming Jewish first to being obedient to the law or proselytes. But you know, they've been trying to make proselytes for hundreds of years. <laughs> this was something that wasn't uncommon. But as we find here in the first three chapters, what we're finding is, is is that they missed the point. They're not giving the gospel the credit that it actually has and what it really means to them and to everyone else. So as his metaphor continues in, four, in chapter 4, <clears throat> but now we're going to turn to a little different way of looking at it. We're going to be dealing with the error, if you will, <clears throat> to the family fortune or estate. That's kind of the, that, that's, the, um, that's the illustration. Even though the young son is heir to all that there is in this family fortune, 
he is still under a guardian and stewards of his father until until the appointed time set by the father. You see, the heir is the the Lord of these things, the master and the owner, but he's still under a guardian and a steward for a period of time set by the father himself. And if we look at scripture in general, we'll find this is the way that God has um, uh, organized things through the ages, through the patriarchs, and through people would uh, have a covenant, but they would wait for the fullness of time, and on and on it goes. I think as we look at all of the labor that the apostles put into these many words and illustrations, it seems clear to me that the Lord was providing every avenue of learning, every avenue of acceptance of the truth of the gospel, of the real message from heaven. He was giving them every opportunity to look at it in the various ways that they might look at this to come to a real understanding of the truth. Not only the truth of the gospel, but the truth of the, of the fact that the apostles of Christ were teaching preaching and, and affirming the very will of Christ. Remember, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I think it's the very last verse, the Apostle Paul says, we, the apostles, have the mind of Christ. Well, it's nothing they did. This is what was granted to them as apostles, the connection, the understanding. You know, we... As Christian people, we're supposed to be ready with an answer from our studies and from our dedication. But Jesus told the apostles, don't worry about what to say when you come before the governor, the king, or the prosecutor. I will give you the words to say. Now, that's a little different situation. But in, in uh, many ways, we're just as equipped if we will, if we will deal with it. I think all of this, though, seems so clear to me, and it seems so certain that God uh, was showing his love for his creation, mankind, in the efforts that he went to to promote the truth of the gospel, not only the gospel itself, not only his promise that he made to Abraham being answered through his son, through the sonship, through the, the freedom we have in Christ, not only that, but the actual truth to it. But the question has always been, how will men respond to the apostolic message of Christ that came from heaven? You see, the origin of all of it is from heaven. That's why it's spiritual, such as the law was spiritual. Why? Because it came from God. These things um, we just have to understand, but we need to respond to it. So the, the first point I'd like to deal with in reading the first five verses of this chapter, <coughs> and I'm reading from the uh, American Standard Version, 
But I think this idea of bond servants, bond servants under the law, we heard about that on the last chapter. We, we kinda, we're going to hear about it again as way as the sun, the air. They're bond servants under the law, but they're sons out of the promise, out of the promise made to Abraham as far as the Jews go and became uh, an opening for the Gentiles when? At the appointed time when God decided from heaven that now the gospel, the, uh, the uh, salvation for man would be extended to the Gentiles also. And we know about that through Peter and the house of Cornelius and on it went from there. Let's look at Galatians 4, the first five verses. <clears throat> but I say that so long as the heir is a child, he differeth nothing from the bondservant, though he is Lord of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the day appointed of his father. So we also, when we were children, were held in bondage under the rudiments of this world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. He said a whole lot in those very few words. A whole lot. I, I like in, in verse 3 here where he makes the point, so we also. You see, this whole scenario of the, of the heir um, waiting for the appointed time, that's what fits with the Jewish uh, uh, people in the covenant time. A lot of it is people are impatient. Um, you know, I, I think of uh, a couple of years ago, I saw them building, or I saw a program about the building a cathedral somewhere in France, I think. And it's something that hadn't occurred to me, but there were generations of the same family that had worked on building that cathedral. The first ones that started it, they, they never saw it completed. The second bunch, the third bunch, it's incredible. Now, you know, we see that man's patient enough to wait a few hundred years to build a building, but they don't want to wait uh, any time at all for God's, for God's timing. Uh, and, of course, that wouldn't have anything to do with building the building in that case, except for the temple and those things. But compare that with the fact that Nehemiah rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem in 52 days. You know, and the gates. Not only that, they had to defend themselves the whole time they were working. So I just think it's incredible that to see a generations of people building, working on a building, the same building. Of course, it's still standing today. I mean, they, I think they did a really good job on it. But the point is valid that Paul's making here. So we also, the, 
and, and I think he makes a point perfectly. Men were held in bondage under the rudiment or elements, your Bible might say. And what, what is the rudiments or the elements? It's, what it is in, in the Greek here is that it's the, it's the step-by-step learning process, the ABCs, the obstacles that you must master in a period of time before you come to an end of, of having something you're accomplished and you're ready for the work you're going to do, in this case, the inheritance. And the word world here in our text, where it talks about the rudiments of the world, is the, the world that talks about the order of creation, the things that are, the, the arrangement, the orderly arrangement, the beauty of the arrangement. So, this is what Paul is trying to get across to them, that the, this is the way that things are accomplished. Now, let's look at verse 4 and 5 again. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent his son, forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. So in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. We know that. Born of, born of Mary, the Hebrew daughter. Found pleasing to, to God. Became the mother of the son of God. And he had a specific purpose in, in this world. And, you know, I guess the whole thinking on that process, we really need to uh, learn more and more and more about that to really appreciate it. But this is God keeping his promise. He has sent the Redeemer. God sent forth his Son. I think of John 3.16. Because God had so loved the world he sent his only begotten son. To what? Free the people from their bondage. Their bondage was sin. Their bondage was the power of Satan over their life. These things God sent his son to remove, and he did. They were redeemed under the law. They lived under the law. The law spoke of the Redeemer. So it was during the time period of this that their Redeemer came. Now, in verse 5, receive adoption those under the law. Jesus is the only begotten Son, but he is the elder brother of every person that's become a Christian. To the Jew first, then the Gentiles also. And of course, this was the issue. This was the issue of the Judaizers. They were first, it's true. Salvation has come from the Jews. Why? Because Jesus was a Jew. The son of promise, son of God, 
but also to the Gentiles. The terms of pardon, the gospel terms of pardon, were extended by God himself through the apostles. Yes, Abraham's promise from God had come to pass. And this is what Paul is trying to stress all through this letter. It's the promise made to Abraham is what is really the issue here. Uh, And sure, the law was added to that promise as a tutor, part of the the, uh, metaphor in the third chapter. And the whole idea of needing a tutor while you're a child. And the heir needs a steward and those that take care of of him until the appointed time. But the appointed time had come, and it had been accomplished. So Abraham's promise from God had come to pass, that sonship, sonship in Christ would be accomplished. But it seems, as we read through here, we see what is the issue with the Judaizers? Why didn't they understand these things in fullness. Well, why don't we understand it today? This is not an issue that's well known, friends. It's just not. Uh, This whole issue of the promise and sonship, this isn't part of normal, everyday Christendom. Sure, it's, it's paramount in the scriptures, but Christianity isn't based on scripture anymore it's based on tradition and other writings religious writings of other various different groups that we know now everybody says that everything they do is bible based but i i think i'm a little bit too old to be convinced that that's actually what i see that's not what we see i would like to say we see that and in some things, of course, we, we do find it. We do find some fundamental things coming through. But these are kind of fine points, but it helps us to understand the, the great workings of God from the very beginning, from Adam and Eve, from the creation, and all that had to transpire to bring people to this point. It, it's been a process uh, for us, and it's been a, a real, uh, it's, it shows the patience and love of God through all of these, these years. So what's the next thing? See, here's a, here's a place where I can use my, my illustration of the breath effect. Breath effect of God's Son, the Christ. Um, we're going to find it here in verse 6. And seven, when I say breath effect, what I'm talking about is the idea of the Spirit. By the way, when it comes to uh, the, the Spirit, one thing that um, if we look in, I think it's First Peter, we'll find that the Spirit of the prophets of old, according to Peter, was the Spirit of Christ. Are you shocked by that? You shouldn't be, because that's what he said. The spirit, the the mind of the apostles was 
was the mind of Christ. Why? Because he had promised it in, in uh, John 14 to the apostles for the work that they had. And here we're going to see the breath effect of God's spirit in verses 6 and 7. <coughs> Excuse me. And because you are sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father, so that thou art no longer a bondservant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Because of our faith, our faith in the faith, the faith came from heaven. The author of faith, Jesus himself, our faith and the faith, the promised sonship is a reality within the family of God. But only, only in Christ do we have and do we find the breath effect of the Spirit of Christ. And, you know, th this is another thing that's just uh, so important, but it's so confused within um, the teachings that we find of the New Testament. And, you know, you start, you start as a babe, but you, you go on and you learn more and more about these things, and it's very fulfilling. But I want to look at uh, John 14. Just read a little bit about, speaking about the, the Spirit, the Comforter, the Helper, uh, John 14, uh, verse uh, 15. Jesus is talking here very close to the time of the end of his ministry um, to the apostles. The twelve were gathered. He was speaking to them. And during, I'm just going to break into his narrative here because I want to de deal with the issue of the spirit or the comforter. If you love me, he said to them, you will keep my commandments and I will pray, which is a, a request of the Father and he shall give you another comforter, which is the paracletes. And the comforter, the paracletes, is, is one exactly, in essence, as Jesus himself. If you can, that, that's a good place to start with that thinking. That he may be with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because, or, for it beholdeth him not, neither knoweth him. You know him, the apostles, you know him, for he abideth with you and shall be in you. Very telling verse there. I will not leave you desolate. I come unto you. Yet a little while, and the world beholdeth me no more, but you beholdeth me because I live. 
you shall live also. In that day, you shall know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he loveth me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him and will manifest myself unto him. Then in verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, saith, him to, saith unto him, Lord, what is come to pass that thou willy, uh, wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? And Jesus answered and said to them, If a man love me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. Now pause there. There's really nowhere to start or stop in this whole section. It's so rich in teaching. But I just wanted to share with you the idea of this connection. Uh, I'm struck by the, the fact that I think he said three times just in that short passage about if you, if you do what he says, then, then, you are, then you are one that loves him. Now the opposite is also true, isn't it? If you don't do what he says, what's that say? Don't love him. Don't we find that illustrated in almost everything, even in, in a normal human relationship? I think we do. Here, of course, this is the, the pinnacle of love and understanding and, and obedience. And yet we, we need to understand this. If we live in Christ, if we are truly in Christ through the terms of pardon and we live for Christ, we have the breath effect of Christ, of the Spirit of Christ. That's the breath effect. That reminds me of, the, I think it's 2 Timothy 3.16 where it says, all scripture is God-breathed. That's the same idea I'm trying to bring in here with this breath effect. I get, I get that because there's a man who uh, wrote a New, New Testament translation. He happens to live here in Arizona, I guess. Um, but he uses this breath effect uh, wherever he finds the issue of spirit being given uh, because spirit is really undefinable in English words. Um, you know, trying to make it a person rather than what it is. It's, it's an effect. So we have the breath effect of Christ in our lives, but only according to the pattern given by God in heaven. You see, we're always under authority. We're always under the banner of truth. If we step out of that, then we can expect to not have the breath effect in our lives. And all this we have 
all of this that Paul is talking about here, we have through the promise of our Lord in heaven. You see, God's promises are what we need to zero in on. And we find a promise, we're soon going to find what follows the promise are the qualifying events for that promise. Things that will void that promise or things that will make that promise a reality. His promises cannot be fulfilled in us without our faith in his word. His word, if you love me, you will do as I have commanded. His word, the word we have from him, the scriptures are from heaven. The teaching is from heaven. If we are outside of that, we can have no promise or no part of that promise. I just think we need to believe that and and go on from there. Just believe it. The last thing is Paul's exhortations to the Gentile Christians. Now he's going to, he turns to the Gentiles in these congregations and and says a few things. (laughs) And he's... um, He's pretty good at at, uh, coming to the point uh, very, very quickly. Starts in verse 8, goes through 11. Here's what he says. How be it at that time, not knowing God, you were in bondage to them that by nature are no gods, But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how turn you back again to the weak and beggarly rudiments whereunto your your desire to be in bondage over again? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid of you, lest by any means I have bestowed labor upon you in vain. That's a cutting, a cutting verse. But I'm sure all of us sometimes have wondered, <laughs> I've had a lot of work done for me, but am, am I really up to the task? Am I doing what's been offered to me? But I want to look at this Gentile issue. The Gentile state, in other words, being a Gentile in the days of Christ compared to being a a son of Abraham, a Jewish person in that same time period, the Jewish people had a great opportunity. They, They were very close to the fulfillment of the promise. They had that promise. The Gentiles had not a promise at that time that was so so laid out. Now, in, in the prophets, when they wrote, there was obvious, it seemed kind of obvious that there were going to be others too. But it wasn't quite as clear. But the Jews certainly were God's covenant people. So the Gentiles being in that state, that was an inferior state. An inferior state. You know, we don't, we don't like to talk about inferior states in, in, the, in the world anymore because, you know, um, 
you can't even lose at a baseball game. Now you're just a participant. But there are states, there are things like this. They were in an inferior state to the covenant people of God, the Jews. So to compare the Gentile state to that now of the state that they were in within Christ as adopted sons of God, what a, what a change. But they were a new creation in Christ, you see. They had come out from that inferior place. Don't you think that that, that knowledge of that alone would have prohibited them from ever going back to anything, even back to Judaism or paganism in any way, what could entice them to do such a thing? Well, this is from me. I think the Judaizers were very accomplished teachers. I think they were very effective in their methods. I think they presented the covenant uh, in a way that it was appealing, okay? Why? Because that Jewish state was a, a, a very good state to be in. But they had confused the issue, and they, the Judaizers, remember, their greatest error was to be preaching something the apostles were not. And that's where, of course, they fell from any real truth. So turning back then to the rudiments, or the ABCs, why go back to the, to the Jewish state and under the law when it was the Jewish state and the law that had brought them to Christ? Could they see this? I think most of them probably did, although I'm sure that some were lost through this. So don't turn back. Turn back to the law or paganism. All of it, I think, is a nullifying work of Christ and the blood of Christ. There is no advancement in turning back. Do you see it working anywhere else? That's what was happening. They were turning back. And that's what Paul's trying to get across to them. This is not going forward. This is not progress. This is turning back. And we can learn about turning back here. I'm going to just go to Hebrews chapter 6. Be my last scripture today. Hebrews 6. Uh, we find the writer of Hebrews telling us exactly um, concerning this issue. I've got too much stuff in this little Bible here. It won't let me turn the pages. Hebrews 6, I'm just going to start with uh, verse 1 so you get the context. Uh, Wherefore, leaving the doctrine of the first principles of Christ, let us press on to the perfection, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the teachings of baptisms and the laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permit. For as touching those who were once enlightened and tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the, the Holy Spirit 
which is the breath effect of God, and tasting the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then fell away. It is impossible to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to open shame. For the land which hath drunk of the rain that cometh off upon it, and bringeth forth herbs meat for them for whose sake it has been tilled, receiveth blessings from God. But if it beareth thorns and thistles, it is rejected and nigh unto a curse, whose end is to be burnt. <clears throat> I think he <laughs> rather puts the cap on it there. Um, Things in that condition are set for fire. They're, they're to be reduced to ashes. That teaching is hard. That teaching is, is the fact that you do not turn back because the offense to, to the Savior, uh, you can reach a point of no return. And Paul is not, doesn't want any of these folks to come to that point at all. That's why this instruction, that's why the labor has gone into this letter. So let me close with the fact that I think and I think this is what's important uh, today to, to consider. The fact that there's nothing nothing second class about being in Christ. There's nowhere better to be there's nothing second class apart uh, being a part of the body of Christ, the assembly, your local assemblies, being citizens of the kingdom of God, the citizens of heaven, spoke about in Philippians, I think, in the heavenlies. What glory that is for a human being. What glory it is. There's nothing second class. Being a Christian in, in the state of being a new creation in Christ, if you're looking for something better, you're going to be going out one end or the other of, of Christ. And that's, uh, that's a dangerous place to be. If we're seeking for more, and I've seen some that seem to be seeking for more, that our nature is not the nature of our Lord. You know, we're supposed to have the nature of Christ as being in Christ, as being born into the family of God. Our nature should be, in that way, should be very close. If we're not, if our nature is not that of the nature of Christ, then we are indeed, and we must be ignorant of his glorious kingdom. So the goal is in life to know him better. To know him better every day. And you know, it doesn't take a lot to do it. Spend an hour or two a day reading your Bible. And, and passages such as this, you need to read them over and over to really get the, the full meaning. You'd be surprised just how they come alive um, 
I, I look back at things that I read 30, 40 years ago, read them, even talked about them, but now I, I look at them, I realize I was only on the very surface of that. Read it again. Read it again. It's your book to read. God's given us these words. They're from heaven. Um, yeah, there's been some difficulties in translations and things of that sort. But you know, if you're really interested, you'll even you'll even sort that out. It's all available today. With this is- issue of the internet, as as perverted as some of it is, there's a lot of good information on there as far as our Bible versions, the original language, uh, all of the helps that we need. And it's in books, too. Uh, from the Internet, you'll find some of the books you need to get, to have. Because I love to have a book to look at. I don't want to have to go back to the, the Internet and go through all of that again. It's too slow. I like to have it in a book. And uh, I used to know a preacher that he had a library. It looked it was a mess. But he'd sit there and talk to you, and he'd point up, at something laying on the side in the shelf and tell you in there, in chapter such and such, is what I just said. So we need to do that. We need to be that kind of person. It's very helpful. Those would be my comments today. I hope they're useful to you. We're going to have our closing song. Amen. Let us have our closing prayer. Our Father in heaven, it has been good to assemble together at this place to fellowship in a way uh, through your word. May we be mindful, Father, of the great... Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.